Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. The most common complaint about this show that we have received is that we haven't <laughs> talked enough about the bad teams. You know, the teams that have long been out of it, the teams that maybe we haven't even touched since September. Um, there's a lot of fan bases that listen to this show, and I I have to imagine at this point they're tired of hearing about the Bengals and the Ravens and the Chiefs and the Eagles. And so today... I mean, we are talking about the Chiefs at some point, and we are talking about the Eagles at some point because they play on Monday night. That's like the one game preview we're doing is is Chiefs-Eagles. But all the bad fan bases, your time has come. We are going to be talking about what has gone wrong this season for five of the worst teams in the NFL, five teams that should be in contention for you know top 10 draft picks, somewhere in that top 10. We're going to talk about what went wrong, and we're going to talk about how to fix them uh, in addition to previewing perhaps the biggest game of the year in KC Philly. So a little bit of a different, uh, quote-unquote, preview show this week. Uh, we're focusing on the forgotten fan bases of the NFL. Uh, before we get into it, though, EJ, how you feeling? I'm good. I love the idea for this show. Uh, some fans are, and, and just to be clear, they're not bad fan bases. These are fans of bad teams. <laughs> yes. Good fan bases, bad teams. Some folks will wonder how we pick these teams because we didn't get all the bad teams. We're only talking about five of them. We really tried to talk in this show about the ones we've talked about the least. Like the Bears are a bad team. They're not on this list. We talk about them all the time. Uh, you know, Carolina is a bad team. We just did a Thursday night game with them. We talked about them for three hours. Like these are teams that we have talked about either very sparingly or like you said, not at all since the beginning of the season that are trending in the wrong direction um certainly in the results table they're gonna have high draft picks and we need to talk about we need to have a framework of talking about what's not working and therefore what we think they should do to fix it and kind of it's almost like a punch list for a house what do you need to do first like is the water leaking you should probably take care of that so we ordered and prioritized their needs and we're going to go through it that way but i i think it's cool because we get to give equal airtime to like you said, a lot of fans that listen to the show and don't get their don't get to hear their team talked about a lot because they're struggling. Uh, before we get into everything we have on the docket today, uh, a little bit of breaking news. Uh, well, by the time the show goes live, it won't be breaking. We're recording this on Wednesday morning, um, but right before we went live, there was the news that came out that Deshaun Watson's done for the year. Uh, we just talked about the Browns Ravens game. Uh, in our in our recap episode earlier this week, I gotta say, a uh, lot better context now for why they weren't pushing the ball down the field with a literal 
broken shoulder and the high ankle sprain, uh, which that, that last run on a high ankle sprain also seems a lot more impressive now than it, than it did on Monday. Uh, but, you know, for him to, to go 14 to 14 with a truly barely functioning shoulder, uh, it, it does give me a lot better context. And I, I think just the fact that he was even able to throw the ball with that injury is like shocking to me because how it was described by Dr. Jesse Morris in terms of what happened and the procedure that's going to need to take place to fix it all. I'm like, how is he even out there? (laughs) That's actually genuinely shocking to me. Uh, So again, you know, our opinions can change when new information comes in, even with the very low average of the target, just the fact that he was able to throw passes uh, was kind of insane. Um, the the Browns fans that obviously have uh, not super fun feelings towards this show, I'm sure not many of them are even listening to this, but I want to give them a little bit of hope. We are a DTR stand podcast. We've loved DTR since before the draft. Uh, we thought that that he has a chance to be you know one of these mid to late round gem quarterbacks. When he got thrown in against Baltimore the first time, he found out like two hours before he was going to start. Right, he didn't really have a week to prepare. So I know a lot of Browns fans, uh, the few that listen to the show at this point, think the sky is falling. I don't think it is. Like, I think they're going to be fine. And if there was ever a defense that I think, uh, you know, DTR could have success against, it's it's one like Pittsburgh that is so incredibly banged up at this point. Like, it's, it's a winnable game. Like, I think they're going to be okay. I think they could still take the division lead, uh, you know, this Sunday. It's, it's still possible. So, um genuinely impressive effort from Deshaun to even be able to throw the ball and I don't think Cleveland is done I really don't I don't think so either largely because of Kevin Stefanski and all the other talent on that roster it is not necessarily a quarterback driven team it hasn't been to this point Uh, Deshaun's effort in the game I don't think anybody can question his effort or his toughness I've had much lesser shoulder injuries than that and it's difficult to like reach across your body and grab your seatbelt, forget, be out on an NFL field, running away from guys that want to crush you and throw the ball. That's a lot of toward all. Um, Deshaun's road back is going to be A lot of toward all. Yeah. (laughs) Deshaun's road back is going to be very difficult. It's complicated surgery as described by the docs who have talked about, you know, the fact that he basically broke the socket in his shoulder and the piece broke off. It's not just a crack. It's a displaced fracture, which is gross and, and rough. There's probably some other damage in his shoulder. It's, it's going to be a long and painful recovery for him. So we're not going to see him this year since signing with the Browns. He's played a combined 12 games over two seasons. That's, that's rugged. It's, you know, again, nobody's questioning his effort or his toughness. You cannot do that after what he did last Sunday. And I saw him pull up on the sideline and kind of limp. And I thought, oh, I thought it was his shoulder. And now he's limping. Like, you know, guys get stepped on or rolled up on or whatever. And now we find out it's a high ankle sprain, which is another very painful injury, um, which can have a, you know, fairly long timetable for return to full function, but nothing like the shoulder to have both and go out and do that in the second half. Like, Overall, yeah, we can sit in a vacuum in our little chairs here and say, oh, it's not good enough to win the game and they need to be better going down the stretch. But again, like you said, when new information comes to light, we can go, holy crap, that was an incredibly tough performance. And yeah, going forward, it's not a quarterback driven team. They have a very good coaching staff. They are 
next man up. And we like DTR. We think he has a good chance to carry forward. Even as a rookie, we know he's going to make rookie mistakes. But he's got a very good line. He's got a solid running game. He's got a great defense. Those are all things that are going to line up pretty well for the Browns to continue winning football games this year as Deshaun goes out and gets healthy. I think they're going to be fine. Like, you know, are they going to win the Super Bowl this year? It's, I mean, it was tough regard. Like, even with Deshaun, it was going to be tough. You know, the AFC is stacked. But I, I don't think it's season over. Like, I still think they're going to be playing in January. Like, the, the defense is that good. The offensive line, when they're healthy, you know, maybe maybe they'll get Dewan Jones back this week. We'll see. But like, when the offensive line, when they're healthy, they're good. They can run the shit out of the ball. They got receiver. Like, they're fine. They're, they're going to be fine. So, you know, Browns fans, it's, it's tough for them because – Seems like every time the team's about to turn a corner, something happens. But it's it's interesting how I'm more positive about the team today than a lot of Browns fans are, of, of all people. But they're going to be okay. Um, all right. We're going to start with the Eagles and Chiefs preview and then get into the bad teams um, because obviously this is the game of the year, arguably. You know, two teams that are at the very top of the conference. Super Bowl rematch. Very possible, I would say, you know, I would say the most possible Super Bowl outcome this year is still Kansas City against Philadelphia, you know, even with all the other great teams in the AFC and even with, you know, the 49ers back on their uh, back on their bullshit and the Lions still being the Lions. And I I would still say the most likely matchup we're going to get is KC Philly. So this could very easily be both a Super Bowl rematch and a Super Bowl preview all wrapped up in one. It's Monday night. It's primetime. There's a lot here, EJ. I'll let you start us off. There are not brighter lights in the NFL for a game than this one. Like you said, it is a primetime game, Super Bowl rematch. Both teams, again, excelling a lot of times. There's a Super Bowl hangover, Super Bowl slump. Neither of these teams has experienced that. Both have good records. Starting off with the Eagles offense, the Eagles offensive line versus the Chiefs front seven on D is going to be sort of the focus watch of the game for me. This is strength on strength, and we're going to see who holds up. Spagnuolo's got that front seven wired up right now. They are terrorizing opposing offenses. The strength of the Philadelphia offense is the offensive line, not just the brotherly shove, their ability to hold up, to pass, protect, to physically dominate people. This is going to be the primetime sort of slugging match that's going to determine a lot of what happens during this game. You know, Chiefs defense going against it, like Spags is as good as there is in the NFL at creating opportunities to limit number one receivers from killing the Chiefs. He's Mm -hmm. really good at doing that. He understands that. So he is going to put A.J. Brown on lock as much as he can. He's going to be the primary read for the defense on most plays. He does have a very good and very talented secondary that is physical. So he will take, I want to, I want to preface this for Chiefs fans. He will take the time to occasionally leave that as a solo matchup. AJ Brown will not be doubled on every play. At some point, Spags will show his hand and trust trust Sneed or anybody else in that secondary to just go, nope. For one play, you've got him one-on-one, and he will gamble and use that other defender in creative ways, which is one of the best things he does. I'm also betting on some creative pressure from Spagnolo. Leo Chanel's really started to come on, and if he stacks him on the same side as Carl Aftis, that's going to basically create matchups one-on-one for Chris Jones on the other side, at least a couple of times, because you can't, you can't really double that matchup on one side and Chris Jones on the other 
And Spags wants that because Jones only needs a couple of one-on-ones per game to make an impact. So I would expect to see some overloads. I would expect to see mostly doubles and caps on A.J. Brown so that he's not the guy that beats the Chiefs. But there will be those times where he's going to gamble and leave him one-on-one because he trusts the young players he has in the secondary, and they're really good. So that's going to be a fascinating matchup as well. The thing with the one-on-ones, which again, like you said, we are going to get them, and what what fascinates me about the one-on-one opportunities is Spags is going to do his best to not let Jalen Hurts know when they're coming. If you look at how the Chiefs' defense is structured, I'm talking on the back end, like coverage-wise, they run you know a lot of quarters. They'll run cover two. Um, they'll they're very man coverage heavy. Ton of cover one, especially in like medium, like third and medium situations. But the way that they line up their safeties, you don't know which one it's going to be. And there is kind of like a very subtle difference in terms of how safeties align pre-stap when it's going to be cover two versus quarters, right? Because the safeties need to be in their proper leverage if they're going to carry number two vertical or, you know, if they need to, to be in a position where they can cut across from number three on the other side, if they're playing like, you know, a trick safety or something like that, to borrow Fangio language, like generally in quarters the safeties are going to be a little bit tighter towards the middle of the field and generally in cover two you're going to see them cheating a little bit wider because they got to get to the sideline as as soon as possible right to kind of close off that honey hole the chiefs when they're kind of disguising stuff they will show their safeties kind of especially like boundary side safety he'll be kind of cheated inside and lower a little bit more than you would think for a, a safety that's going to be getting back there in cover two. They're, they're basically going to make it look like quarters. And then, you know, Legereus Sneed oftentimes or Trent McDuffie or whoever the outside corner is, is just going to jam the living shit out of the receiver and then play the flat zone in cover two. And the reason why they do that jam is they got to give the safety time to get back there. You know, like they, they need to disrupt the route as much as possible. So they're going to sell out. It's going to be like a two-handed jam. It's going to look like a boxing match down there because they need to give the safety time to get to his landmark. And then he's going to kind of, you know, carry it a little bit, make make it almost look like it's man coverage, or any, and then he'll just kind of sag off and play the flat, look for number two out there or something like that. Um, so the disguise of it is is very... Um, Honestly, it's very like Tony Dungy-ish, like early 2000s Buccaneers where the corners would just beat people up and then play the flat. They do that a lot so that they can disguise quarters versus cover two. And then at the same time, they'll also sit in that same pre-snap alignment. And then sometimes the safety will go down and play a robber and the other safety will go back and play the post and they'll play one cross out of it. So you think you're going to get, you know, cover two and then you're like, okay, maybe it's quarters. Let me call like um, like a pin post or mills or something like that that can you know, hit, hit a post against quarters and then all of a sudden it's cover one cross and you got nothing and, and then ah, you're holding the ball and you take a sack. So just the disguise of how they're sitting there pre-snap with how their safeties are and all the different coverages they can get into out of that pre-snap alignment makes it really, really hard on Jalen Hurts to know when he actually has a one-on-one with, with A.J. Brown. And it's going to be on Jalen to then, you know, quickly identify where the safeties are going post-snap so that he knows whether or not he can take those shots. Like, that first third of a second after the ball is snapped, he's got to figure out what they're in 
or, you know, Chris Jones is coming. Like, I know the offensive line is great, but, like, he really doesn't have a lot of time to make a decision here. Yeah, it's it's a weird sort of mashup of, like, the Pittsburgh front with the absolute antithetical Pittsburgh back, right? Yeah. <laughs> Pittsburgh <laughs> lines up and goes, this is the way we are. We're going to do this. You know we're here. Come beat us in the secondary. And Kansas City does exactly what you just described. They line up and they go, what are we really in? Mm -hmm. Guess right. But the rush is very similar in terms of the amount of talent they have, the number of angles they come from, um, a lot of the games that they'll play up front. So it's kind of like Kansas City has Pittsburgh's front, but a completely different back end to back it up behind them because they are trying to make sure that you don't know, hey, this is your one shot. For AJ Brown down the field, you got one on one. If you think you know the 50 50 ball is more 80 20, this is the time to do it. They want to make you think that a couple of times, but then they're going to bring a cap player over. They're going to bring that safety from you know from an interior depth, almost what looks like cover three when they're rotating in. Like they'll, mm -hmm. they'll press him down in there, and you're like, oh, he's in the box. And like you say, you get that hard jam on the outside, and he is absolutely on a shot to go out and basically put a two cap over the primary wide receiver. So it's going to be a really cool chess match. We've got great players on both sides. We've got great coaches on both sides, and there's going to be a lot of back and forth. They're each going to win their share, but seeing how they get into things is going to be really, really cool. Flipping over to the other side of the ball here, uh, Chiefs offense versus Eagles defense. I'm sure people that have listened to the show recently uh, think they know what this part is going to be about. Oh, the Eagles can't cover anybody. Oh, the Chiefs aren't using their receivers down the field, and we really want them to to give Rasheed Rice a, a chance to be a deep ball guy. No, I mean, I mean, yes, but no. Like that's not my main <laughs> point here. <laughs> I was gonna say really because I'm gonna say the Rasheed Rice part, but go ahead. The, the, when I was looking through, uh, you know, film for this game and, and stats for this game, the thing that really jumped out to me that I, I realized we hadn't been talking about that really should be talked about is. I don't want to say the degradation of the Chiefs' interior line, but something's off. You know, Trey Smith has been his normal self, but, you know, Creed's given up four sacks this year. Tooney just got worked against Denver. Like, they were working power against him and collapsing him into pass lap the entire day. You know, Creed, on, on the sacks that he's given up, a lot of it's on, like, fire zones. Like It, it won on a six-man pressure against Denver, but... You know, he's gotten picked on a little bit in terms of, you know, kind of people running into his side um, and kind of moving him out of the way and then challenging him to get back in time to pick up a looper. And, and he's he's kind of struggled in that area a little bit this year. Um, like the interior line, weirdly enough, in recent weeks has been a little bit more of an issue in pass protection than even the the, the tackles, right? And, you know, the tackles, I think, early on in the year were more of an issue, but... There, this game kind of gives me bad vibes because seeing Tooney really, really struggle against Denver, against power, knowing that he's got Jalen Carter and Jordan Davis this week, I'm like, I I don't know if I like that. You know, like we could talk about Juwan Taylor against Hassan Reddick and, and Sweat against Donovan. Like, yes, those are key matchups, but the interior is what I'm more worried about. And if you can collapse the interior... That's where, you know, Mahomes really runs into issues because if you if you just keep your edges 
as contain rushers and then you get up the up the middle on him it's very similar to Tom Brady like if you don't give him space to kind of step up and do his normal Mahomes stuff in a tight pocket that's why they struggled against Denver like beyond the the other stuff the receiver stuff interior line didn't give him anywhere to go so I think that's going to be a, a big issue and one of the main issues that I'm looking for in this game is can they hold up against Jalen Carter I'm not convinced they can and it's not just Mahomes any quarterback struggles with interior pressure we saw we've seen Joe Burrow a couple times over the last few weeks like plays where Joe hasn't been super accurate or hasn't come up with a good result it's early pressure flashing in his face no quarterback does well with interior rushers in their lap in one or 1.5 seconds that's just not a way to run an offense and the Chiefs offensive line in terms of continuity is one of the highest percentages of having all five of their starting linemen on the field in the entire league. It's 96% of the snaps they've had their starting five. That's third in the league and really near the top. They know each other extremely well, but they're going to have to hold up versus this talent-rich defensive line that just comes in waves and is not short on power. The one thing that they struggled against pretty mightily with Denver, Philly's just got more of it, and they've got more people and more power. And if they don't, we're going to see certainly a degradation of their passing game, right? Mahomes Mm -hmm. is going to have to do more Mahomesian stuff, more wizard plays, more things that really only Pat can do. And the offense, you know, as fun as that is to watch, that's not the place where it functions the best. And Pat would tell you the same thing. Like, you would much rather be able to stand back, survey, make a choice, and then go out and do that stuff if he has to, but not be forced to do that stuff early in the down, early in the play, that's not going to be their best life. So Chiefs offensive line is going to have to buck up a little bit, and that's just how that is. And, you know, I'll talk a little bit about the receiver stuff because it's not going away. (laughs) And, you know, we talk about strength on strength when we're talking about the, you know, the Eagles offensive line versus the Chiefs defensive line. We're kind of talking about, I don't want to say weakness on weakness, but definitely the weaker parts of these two teams when we're talking about the Kansas City wide receivers versus the outside corners of Philadelphia. And normally we'd be saying, oh, you know, get that vertical threat and take advantage of those guys. They're not running well down the boundary right now, but Kansas City doesn't have that guy right now. Or if they do, they're not using him that way. I mean, MBS has the speed. He's shown up a little bit more in in recent weeks. They, again, sort of refuse, flatly refuse to run Rasheed Rice deep. I'm I'm just begging you yet again. I'm here asking you, Kansas City, one more time. (laughs) Run Rasheed Rice deep a couple times if there was ever a game to get him loose against some folks. I mean, again, in the preseason slate, you wouldn't have looked at Bradbury and Slay and gone, oh, that's the week that we want to start running Rasheed Rice deep. You would have gone "Ah, probably the opposite. But given where these two teams are in the season – it can be an opportunity for them. I'm not saying they're going to hit them, but you've got to try it a couple of times with either one of those guys and see if you can get a chunk that way because otherwise you really are playing into the strength of the Philly defense. If you just sit short and try and run crossers and try and run hooks and flats and all the things that Casey can do well and has done well, well enough to get to the point where they are, that's really sort of, letting Philadelphia's defense off the hook for the one thing they're struggling right now with, which is secondary depth and the ability to get down the boundary with fast receivers. So, uh, you know, you might not say it, but I'm going to say it. Please, 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 Kansas City, take a couple of deep shots um, and don't give up on it. If, If you take one or two and it doesn't work, take a couple more. When they get into man coverage looks, which 
they don't do that often because they know that they can't. Um, <laughs> I would have to imagine it's going to be one double eighty-seven. You know, it'll be Bayard plus somebody else on Travis, and then everybody else you know, on, on the Chiefs' offense is going to get one-on-one, like true one-on-ones, right? So, like you said, if there was ever a week to see what Rasheed Rice has got, it's now. Like it's it's got to be now especially in this game in this situation you're trying to keep pace in the AFC you know got to do it got to do it you you draft him in the second round he's shown so much burst as a yak threat like maybe they just feel like his contested catch skills down the field aren't great and so they don't even want to try it which I mean go back to SMU his contested catch rate wasn't super amazing so like I I would understand it but I mean shit what else are you gonna do? <laughs> you can, yeah, like you can yak your way down the field against Philly, but is that the best course of action in this game? I don't know if it is. No, nah, it feels like playing into their to their hands a little bit, playing into their strengths. You know, one thing about the the Chiefs defense, I'm really or the Chiefs offense, I'm really interested to see if Decide goes after that Denver game plan of trying to contain Kelsey and if the refs let him do it because. You know, there wasn't a lot of secret sauce on how Denver contained Kelsey. They hit him. They hit him all day. They just ragged on him physically during the routes. They just stayed with him and they banged him and the refs let him. And, you know, that sounds like a great recipe. But if you start drawing flags on the first three times you try that, you're going to have to back off as a defense. So, I mean, Desai and every other DC in the league saw that. Can they match it both with personnel and with, I'll, I'll just say, tolerance from the officiating crew? Going to be a key thing because, again, if you start letting Travis get free runs, uh, we know how the Chiefs offense works at that point. So it'd be fascinating to see how Desai schemes up Kelsey because we all know he's the primary threat in that offense and he's the one that can go get yards when they really need it. And if they can stymie that, just like the Chiefs can stymie A.J. Brown, they're going to be in a much better spot to win this game. One quick note, and then we'll get right back to the show. I just want to ask you a question. Do you like free steak? How about do you like free steak for an entire year? Because if so, ButcherBox is giving you the choice between free New York strips, free filet mignons, or free ribeyes in every single order you get for an entire year. Whatever your favorite cut is between those three, you get it for free. But you don't need to just get grass-fed beef. You can get anything. They also have free-range chicken and turkey, wild-caught seafood, and pork that is raised crate-free. So whatever high-quality cuts you can think of, ButcherBox has it available right now to deliver straight to your door in either custom or curated boxes in whatever frequency of delivery you want. And again, for a limited time right now, if you order anything on ButcherBox to get yourself ready for the holidays, those orders will come with your choice of either New York strips, filet mignons, or ribeyes for free in every single order for a year. Just check out ButcherBox at the link in the description and use our promo code BOOTLEG to get those free steaks, plus $20 off your first order as well. Again, that is the link down in the description below and using promo code BOOTLEG at ButcherBox.com BOOTLEG to take advantage of this offer. Thank you again to ButcherBox for sponsoring today's show. And with that, let's get back to it. All right, the back half of this show, we're going to spend the entire time theoretically fixing five of the worst teams in the NFL. And the structure that we have here is very similar to our offseason 
uh, preview series where, you know, we, we had kind of like these overall macro stats of, you know, EPA per play for passing and rushing offense as well as passing and rushing defense, points scored, points allowed. We're not doing any of like the systemic stats, uh, like, you know, how much percent of each coverage are they running? Like what's their blitz percentages? We're not doing that today. More so we're sticking to the macro numbers of like, here's what they're good at. Here's what they're bad at. Or in the Giants case, <laughs> they're bad at everything, but <laughs> we'll get to them in a second. Uh, but, you know, kind of like these overall metrics that show like, here's what's got to get fixed. And then we're going to talk about, you know, some prospects they could be looking at, you know, a couple free agency moves here and there, or at least positions they, they could address. Uh, and just trying to give an overview of what's wrong, what can be done, and do they have a shot of, of maybe getting off of this list this time next year. Uh, EJ, with that, floor is yours before we get into the first team. So these are the core stats that we use to create our bootleg power score. We're not going to be given bootleg power scores today because, you know, hey, we're not at the end of the season. And the biggest thing about those was where they ranked based on where their neighbors were and, and league wide overall. Um, that isn't as important. We're looking at these sort of larger, you know, tentpole stats, if you will. They're sort of holding the whole thing up and saying uh, this is the first area that the team should probably address. And as a result of that, we took these six stats and we ranked them for importance to winning. So which ones need to be addressed first? This is the list we're going to go to. So points scored, obviously the most important. Now that's a sort of multiple problem. You can't just pick points out of the draft. You got to figure out how to do that. Points allowed is the next being a good scoring defense, passing offense, then passing defense, rushing offense, then rushing defense, bringing up the rear and sixth spot. So makes sense if you think about it. Got to score points to win. Obviously, got to keep points from being scored to win as well. The main way to score points statistically right now in the NFL is through the air. So then you want to stop that. And last, you know, bringing up the rear is rushing. You got to have a decent rushing game. But even when we put bootleg power score out there last summer, y'all said, hey, you should wait that because rushing is not important as passing. And we knew that we just didn't have time to do it. So as we go through and we look at these either strengths, because there are some strengths on these teams or deficiencies, which there are a lot more of. That's why they're some of the worst teams in the league. We'll talk about which ones they're really deficient in and then talk about ways to address those like you said either through free agency or the draft or maybe it's just young talent that they have on their roster that is developing that you know should bring a boost next year or a combination of all three so we have five teams that we're doing this for it's the giants patriots packers falcons and cardinals we're going to start off with the giants who are possibly the worst of the bunch i would say if the giants had to play the panthers right now with tommy devito as their starter they might not win that game. Not even might. They probably wouldn't win that game, right? Giants, as of today in Week 11, worst team in the league. And if you're looking at their stat breakdown, you know, rushing offense, they're 28th in terms of EPA per play. Passing offense, they're 32nd. They're dead last. Again, Tommy DeVito effect. Uh, rush defense, they're 19th, so they're a little below average. Pass defense, they're 21st, so again, a little below average. And then points scored and points allowed, they are 32nd so dead last in points scored and 31st in points allowed second to last so it's just bad all over as of right now they hold the second overall pick 
assuming they don't win another game this year, which I, I'm looking at their schedule and I, I don't know if they will, I have to imagine they're going to have the first overall pick. So even if they only have a top two pick, not even top one, but top two pick, for you, looking at all of these stats, is quarterback where you start <laughs> or are you trading the king's ransom that you absolutely would get for one of these top two quarterbacks to try to inject more talent and fix the rest of the team because uh, clearly more than just quarterback is a problem here do you feel like if they took one the same thing would happen to either Caleb Williams or Drake may that happen to Daniel Jones like do you feel like they have enough talent to develop one of these guys or are you just you you taking the ransom, you know, kind of going the Cardinals route, getting a bunch of picks, getting a bunch of dudes, and trying to rescue whatever Daniel Jones is. It's really difficult because this is a classic draft conundrum. Do you draft the quarterback first and then see, you know, if you can race to build things around them in time <laughs> before they get hurt, ruined, run out of the league? Or do you build the foundation for a couple of years and then pick a quarterback when you're ready, uh, bring him in, get him through his rookie struggles, and then you've got your your true window. In order to do that, you need to have a quarterback, and I don't feel like the Giants have one right now. Daniel Jones is gone for the rest of the year. I really I didn't believe in Tommy DeVito coming out in the draft, you know, good on him for going out there and getting a chance to start NFL games. Is he any kind of answer, even really as a backup? I don't feel like he is. And there's nobody else on deck. There's no other young. This isn't like a, a major league baseball team where you got young arms in the pipeline. And as soon as they come out of single A, you'll be all right. Like there's nobody. They do not have a quarterback. So the idea is they would have to get a bridge if they were going to go for the ransom of picks. And they do need a lot. They are not, they're not one player away. They're probably not five players away. This is, you know, you can talk about the effect of coaching, but this is not one of those teams um, kind of like the Cleveland defense that we thought was loaded with talent and just being misused. Like they're not loaded with talent. They have some talent, but if you start naming players off the Giants roster that you would take, even in their division, over their division rivals, it's a handful of players. Like, it's not a lot. A lot of the players they've picked high have not shown out the way they hoped. They have some young players who the book is still out on. You know, I think Jalen Hyatt can do more than what he's shown this year, certainly because of the situation. But there's not that many players on either side of the ball. So it's very tempting to say, we'll take the King's ransom. But then what are you doing about the quarterback position? Because you're going to be getting a journeyman at that point through free agency, not likely through a trade, but through free agency and sticking them in with a roster that's not very good. And that's that sort of paints a bleak picture for next year, because if you look at these stats, offense is the problem. Like you're 28th in rushing, which eh, you can live with a rank in the 20s, but it better be closer to 20 and passing 32nd. You're not you're not winning many games and yeah. games. You're, you're last in the league in one of the most important stats that leads to scoring points. You're just abysmal. And you're not one piece away. It's not that you have a bunch of good receivers, and if you insert a Caleb or a Drake May, that you're going to be a whole lot better. Your offensive line has some holes as well, even though you've invested in it. Um, you know, those players have been up and down. 
it, it is sort of a where do you start thing. And I think throwing a high, high round choice quarterback into that situation is not a great recipe because there's not going to be any success in the first year. Um, there's going to be flashes. He's going to get beat up. You're not going to have a ton of success. The New York media market, especially, you pick a quarterback that high, the expectations are going to be sky high, and he's going to get slagged. He's absolutely just going to get buried by negative press because, oh, we picked this guy way up high, and we're not winning anything. That'll be the story. It's way oversimplified, but it will happen. So what you're thinking is you go get, you know, like a a, a, a Jacoby Brissett You know, you go get a a Jameis, a Josh Dobbs, like something in that category, Uh, mainly because we don't we don't know when Daniel Jones is coming back. Like he's probably going to start the year on the pup. Right. So like you still need somebody to play. and You're not going to win shit with Tommy DeVito. So like you still need one to to get you through until DJ comes back. And even then, DJ is really only guaranteed through next year anyway. So you can also consider him just the other bridge. Um, And so you're thinking get a bunch of picks, you know, try to get get best case scenario. Let's say it's Marvin Harrison Jr., right? Plus Olu Fashanu or or who like you know, depending on depending on who you're trading with, like how many picks you can get and pull off like a Texans type move where it's like you go down and then you use future assets and go back up and you get potentially an Evan Neal replacement and a number 1 so that you can slide in insert veteran quarterback here and and be competent right I would I would be okay with that line of thinking however seeing what CJ Stroud has done in Houston this year has made me think if you have the right kid and if you have the right coach even with 80% backup offensive linemen even with you know, a rookie third round picket receiver and Nico Collins being the two weapons. It is possible. It is possible to make it work. And you you just need to hit on the quarterback. So if you believe that Drake May or Caleb Williams can be that, I think the more fireable offense is if you don't take them. You know, I would, it's tough. Yeah, I would disagree because I don't. You said you just have to hit on the quarterback. Yeah, that's hard enough. And yes, you absolutely do. There's there's no question about that. In the Texas case, you also have to hit on the head coach. D'Amico Ryans was the most sought after head coaching candidate in recent memory uh, in terms of his ability to like, I don't know if there was a single person that I talked to that was like, I don't think he's going to be able to lead an organization. Everybody was like <laughs> hard the other way. Yeah. Like, he is a leader. He no problem, hundred percent from day one. Th- those guys don't grow on trees. They're as hard to find as franchise quarterbacks. And the secret sauce in Texans land is Bobby Sloan, right? Mm-hmm. You got a really good offensive coordinator to work with a young quarterback to make all that stuff work. And you, you talked about it. The offensive line is not perfect. It's good. Yeah, is it better than the Giants line? You know, fun debate. You know, we can talk about it in terms of production. It certainly is in terms of talent. Eh, you know, maybe close. Who knows? So you got to have the triumvirate, right? You got to have a really good play caller that understands how to work with a really good rookie quarterback who you have to pick out of the draft, which is, as we know, a, a huge have, challenge. Have you lost faith in Brian Dable to be that? That's what I'm curious about. 
I don't know. This year has shaken my faith in Dable. I was a huge Dable believer. I wanted him as the Bears coach. I believed that he would be a good match with Justin, just like he was with Josh. Um, This year has really gone off the rails. Now, I didn't expect the Giants to have the year that they had last year. But I also did not expect them to be bouncing off the bottom of the barrel of the league. Like, and they are very clearly that. They are a terrible team. They're probably not favored against anybody for the rest of the year. They probably shouldn't be. And it doesn't really look like he's got a great handle on that. If you're, you know, I'm not a huge body language guy, but you look at that team on the sidelines. You look at Dable's interaction with his players, even before DJ went down. Like, that's not a happy guy. And it's it's pretty easy to be upset in the NFL when you're losing and losing badly. I get it. But that's when you really see, like, who's hanging on, who has control of the locker room, who is sort of unquestionably moving the team forward. And I'm I'm not in that camp with Dable anymore that he is unquestionably moving the team forward. I'm like, Ooh, can he overcome it's, this? It's, this a, a, it's a strong maybe. It's a strong yeah, maybe. I mean, yeah. I'm not saying he can't, but again, this is, we're, we're sitting here saying this is not going to be a short process. So is he in for the long haul? And is he the right guy for that? kind of job when he really thought that he was probably going to be ascending next year into a true window position where that team was ready to go and you know we'll see I think overall it's a very it's a healthy debate and you're not necessarily wrong either way like I think I think the take the ransom crowd and I think the take Caleb slash May crowd, you could equally argue either side there. And the reason why you can equally argue either side is because the team is so beyond broken that either option is probably going to make them better. And there's really nowhere to go but up. So you can't really be wrong. Like I don't think there's a negative option here. I just think from a... From a, a an emotional standpoint, if I was a Giants fan and we passed on Caleb or Drake May and they went to, uh, God, who, if they went to Green Bay and became like the next Aaron Rodgers, I would be sick to my stomach. I would be as sick as Panthers fans are right now looking at what CJ Stroud's doing, going like, oh my God, what did we do? So it's it's a tough emotional question more than anything. I, I think Giants fans are sick as it gets right now. We, we know a few and yeah, there's just not been whole lot of positives and there's some digging left to do again there there's not a silver bullet if anything if you take anything out of this segment it is that there's not a silver bullet it is not hopeless by any stretch and turnarounds can happen pretty quickly this one's going to take a little bit because the depths that the giants have fallen to is the probably the surprise they were surprising last year because they overachieved they had no business winning as many games as they did last year going to the playoffs no absolutely not and we said that was a miracle. They're probably going to regress a little bit. But a little bit is like two or three less wins. Yeah. Not like no wins and not really any hope of wins. That's the that's the fall. And that's the difference is, oh, they overachieved a little bit. Expectations got sky high. And then the bottom fell out this year. And that is a tough ride to take. Uh, speaking of the bottom falling out, Patriots. Patriots are in the worst position they've been in as a franchise since before the Tom Brady era began. There have 
There have been kids that have been born and grown up and gone to college and graduated in in the time since the Patriots have been this awful, like as a as a franchise, top to bottom, right? And there's there's a lot of reasons for that. You know, the offensive line uh, shuffling due to injuries early on in the year created a situation where they couldn't pass protect at all. You know, the injury or the injuries to the defense. You got Judon, you got Gonzo, among others. Like it's a very banged up team, and they were not as deep as as they needed to be to weather that storm. And also at the same time, their quarterback wasn't good enough to make up the difference for for losing guys in the offensive line and and dealing with the shuffle and, and, you know, dealing with Micah Parsons coming off the edge. Like we were at that game. We watched it live. And I still, I have a distinct memory when Micah was coming off the edge, or I think it was Micah might've been Demarcus Lawrence. He's coming off the edge and we're like, Mac tuck the ball, Mac tuck the ball. You had to run. You cannot keep it out in front of you. Oh God, there's the fumble. And just the lack of awareness, you know, the lack of, just good decision making the lack of arm talent like the pick that he threw against Indy is just it's one of the worst that he's had this year really one of the worst he's ever had and that's really saying a lot so I think they just they don't have a quarterback who can withstand or who can elevate the team above the injuries they've sustained they really only have one receiver that I think is gonna last on this team for a while and that's Pop Douglas you know, uh, the fact that their second best passing threat is Ramondre Stevenson. Everything about this team is just is just bad, right? And if you're looking at the stats, you know, rushing offense, they're 25th in EPA. Passing offense, they're 31st in EPA. Literally the only team worse than them at passing is New York. Uh, they have a good run defense. Uh, mm-hmm. They're third in terms of rush defense EPA. But again, like you said, that's the quote-unquote sixth most important stat out of this bunch. Their pass defense EPA is 26th because they've taken a lot of injuries in the secondary. Points scored, they're 31st. Points allowed, they're 25th. If the only thing you can really hang your hat on is, hey, our our linebackers and interior line is pretty good at stopping the run, you got issues. They definitely have issues. There's no way to look at this Patriots team and say that they don't have issues, but I don't think they have as many issues as the Giants do, and I don't think they're also necessarily that far from fixable giants we just talked about look it's it's a long way from here to there you're gonna have to make a bunch of moves and the patriots i really think if you can fix the passing offense and that means a new quarterback because mac is not playing he's playing poorly enough that he is the reason that you're losing and that's saying something because quarterbacks always get too much credit and too much blame but i don't think it is unfair to say to mac like he's been playing poorly enough that he is contributing mightily to the reason the Patriots are losing. Now, rushing offense 25th. You talked about the offensive line shuffling. Even if their rushing offense went up to 22nd or 20th, which I don't think is necessarily a hard thing to do, that would be fine. Rushing offense, EPA per play, fifth most important out of the six stats we talked about. Passing offense being 31st, you got to fix that. And that's going to lead to points scored, which is also 31st. So I really feel like it's one thing that you can fix here. Now, rush defense, we talked about it. It's great. It's third. Pass defense is 26, but we we feel like there are reasons for that, right? Gonzalez no Judon, out. no Gonzo. Yep. Judon, Judon's coming back. 
like Gonzo's coming back. So I feel like that's going to be a boost to that pass defense. Does it need to be better still after that? Yeah, it probably needs to be top 16. It needs to be top half. I feel like with a player or two, they could probably get there and those guys coming back. So again, not really focused on that. I'm really focused on you got to get a quarterback and you got to get a bunch of receivers. And that typically hasn't been, quote unquote, the Patriot way. They have, they have maybe had one good receiver and a bunch of guys. That's been the sort of MO for a while. And they're going to have to change that. They're going to have to get a new passer and they're going to have to get a bunch of targets. But if they do that and they're able to maintain a decent rush defense, the pass defense comes back up with both guys they have on the roster and maybe a couple of new injections, either free agency or draft. Like, I think this can be a competitive team. There is a question at the top whether or not Bill wants to keep doing this. We're not going to go into that sort of existential question, but it does feel like he's getting to the point where he just kind of doesn't want to do this anymore. It's not making him happy. You know, is there, and if there's a change at the top, like the Patriots, let's just say Bill says, that's it. I'm done. I don't want to do it anymore. Or Kraft says, you're done. You're not doing it anymore. Whatever happens there, Bill moves on. Let's just say that. Patriots have a coaching opening, right? And let's just Mm -hmm. say, theoretically, they go out and get Ben Johnson, right? Hello there. Ben Johnson comes in. (laughs) They have a high draft pick. They pick a quarterback they like. It's a great receiver class. So they can pick receivers on down the board and, and build guys up around Douglas, who we like. Now, they have a tight end that I think they can use, or two tight ends, really, that they think they can use. The offensive line, it's easily, I think, as good as Houston's. Like, they could make it work, and you bring that in. The pass offense goes from, say, 31st to, like, 18th, and the points scored goes from 31st to, like, I don't know, 20th, 22nd. The defense stays okay. The rush defense certainly stays okay. The pass defense gets elevated. Maybe they pick one more corner in this draft or one more pass rusher. Like, this team is not in the same place as the Giants. A lot of things, a lot of moving parts we just talked about there, but they are closer, certainly, than New York is. I I don't necessarily think their offensive line is as good as Houston because Houston's tackles are way better. Like, interior, interior, okay. I think, I think they have stuff to work with on the interior. They do need a tackle, though, because if there's one thing that, that Houston has over, honestly, most teams in the league is their tackle duo of Tunsil and Howard. Um, but... If 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 New England's sitting there at the third overall pick, because right now they have the third overall pick, and because of strength of schedule, even if Carolina wins a game, it's still going to be you know Bears and Giants one and two. So they're still on the outside looking at a new quarterback. Then the debate becomes: Okay, we know we need even if it's just one tackle, we need one tackle this year, but we also need a, a badass wide receiver one. Then the debate becomes Marvin Harrison Jr., Olu Fashano, slash Joe Alt, whoever you happen to prefer. Mm-hmm. That's the question that I'm really struggling to answer because it's very similar to like the Penny Sewell versus Jamar Chase debate, like which is more important. But the the one thing that that kind of changes the debate is when it was the Bengals that were making that choice, it was, oh, we have Joe Burrow. When the Patriots 100%. are making that choice, it's, oh, we have Mac Jones. So then it becomes like, would Mac Jones be better with a wide receiver one or would he be better with better protection? I'm not 100% sure on the answer to that yet, but 
knowing what Matt Mac looks like under pressure when he just completely shits the bed, I would probably lean tackle there while also longingly looking at Caleb and Drake, Drake may going one and two and being like, God, we were so close. And I don't think Mac figures into that debate. I, I am not sure if you're new England that you can move forward with Mac Jones next year, like given where they're at and how bad the struggles have been last year, total pass. He was in an offense that is, you know, barely considered an NFL great offense, if it was at all. And I, I would make arguments on film that it, it wasn't. This year, he's got a Bill O'Brien offense. Bill O'Brien's been calling effective offense in the NFL for a long time, and he has been playing extremely poorly. Again, bad enough to be the reason that they're losing. And that's a lot to pin on a quarterback, but I don't think it's unfair in Max's case. So. I'm not saying Max should be out of the league. I'm saying I'm not sure that he can continue on with a with a large primary role as a quarterback in New England. Given that, quarterback becomes sort of unhooked from that debate you were having, and we're getting a new quarterback anyways, then what do we get? Um, and, you know, if you're third and, and Caleb and Drake May are off the board, I would have a hard time not picking Marvin Harrison Jr. there because you need a wide receiver badly and that that guy is something he's else. everything like, he's he's, he's so worth it so I know it would be hard with a question at the quarterback position but you don't like if you have a top three pick you need a blue chip talent I'm not talking about pro bowler you need an all pro like that's what you're supposed to get in the top 10 of the draft it's hard to do but there are not a lot of people that have looked at Marvin Harrison Jr.'s game and said anything, but that's exactly what he's going to be. And from, you know, moment one. I've been doing a lot of work on him because uh, I'm doing a film room episode coming up, like comparing him as a prospect to LSU Jamar, like when Jamar was a sophomore yep. in 2019. Um, which, God, it's five years ago at this point. It feels, <laughs> feels a lot shorter than that, but that was half a decade ago, right? And, you know, every five years, you kind of get that type of receiver coming out where it's like, oh, yeah, he's the dude. And so I'm going to be directly comparing Marvin and, and, and Jamar, and they're actually more different than, than people think. And when I look at Marvin, like not only, okay, yeah, 6'4", and you know, runs at minimum 4-4-4, probably below that. Um, and he's got the crazy ball skills and everything like that. But when you watch him, you're like, God, he's a pro. Like, you can tell his dad has been working with him since <laughs> yeah. he was... Yeah. I mean, in terms of how how he changes up tempo in his routes, you mm -hmm. know, how he runs his routes, I mean, the same but different just based on corner technique and based on the looks that he's getting... He doesn't give you 100% of his juice until he absolutely needs to. And then when he does it, it's like, oh, my God. You know, he's an artist, man. He's a straight-up artist in terms of how he plays the game of football. And I don't think I don't think it's crazy to say that even with these two quarterbacks coming out, Marvin's the best player in the class. Apples and trees, man. Apples and trees. Yep. You don't, you know, you're preaching to the choir. I was a huge Marvin Harrison Jr. fan, or Marvin Harrison Sr. fan. Um, Harrison Jr., you know, even bigger than his dad by, by a fair bit. Uh, and, yeah, has been absolutely soaking up all the lessons his dad gave him, either directly or indirectly, for a long time. 
you know, even more gifted physically. And you're talking about a Hall of Fame wide receiver like in his dad, who was Mm -hmm. really, really good. And you're saying more gifted, certainly farther along coming out as a prospect. Like, I don't think there's any question that Junior is farther along than Marvin Harrison Sr. was coming out as a prospect. Like, that's not a debate. And that's ridiculous. (laughs) It's like super scary. It's like it's it's Brian Hartline's magnum opus, like truly. Agreed. It's like, oh, he, here, let me have this Hall of Fame talent that's like already ready to go. You know, could probably have played in the NFL when he was like 18 years old. And let me just like sprinkle my little fairy dust on top of like an already amazing product and turn him into quite possibly the best receiver prospect since Julio. Like, in terms of size, speed, artistry, like, it's it's there, man. He's it's he's there. a dominant player. It's a huge need for New England. If they miss out on the quarterback, I would still take him and not feel bad about it. I know people feel like that's half a sandwich, but it's a, it's a really good open-faced sandwich. You can win some with that. So, uh, Next team on the list, Packers. Um slightly different draft position here uh, or different conversation here when it comes to the draft mm-hmm. because right now the Packers are sitting at six. So they almost have no shot at, at one of the top two quarterbacks because they're three and six. And I just, I don't think Carolina's winning more than three games. I don't think the Giants are winning more than three games. I will say though, the Packers also, I think have a little bit more to work with in terms of talent than and especially the Giants, right? Uh, you know, rushing offense, they're 26th in terms of EPA. Passing offense, they're 12th in terms of EPA. That one surprised me the most, uh, especially like watching them on film. I, I wasn't sure how <laughs> they have the 12th highest EPA in terms of passing offense, but they do. Uh, and then rush defense, they're 23rd. Pass defense, they're 16th. Points scored, they're 22nd. Points allowed, they're 9th. So like the bones of the team, is okay they just can't win games and so they're going to end up with a top 10 pick and the the question then becomes like okay is this the best that Jordan Love is ever going to be if so yeah you could argue moving on and if you do believe that it's the best that Jordan Love is ever going to be and you do believe that we should spend this high draft pick getting QB3 in this class Who's your QB three? Because there's a bunch of names to pick out of that hat. You got Bo Nix, you got JJ McCarthy, you got Michael Penix, Jaden Daniels is just having an unbelievable year at LSU. Like I think the debate for Green Bay beyond just like what do we actually have to fix here? The debate for Green Bay is who's the third best quarterback in this class? That's a much harder debate than who's the best quarterback. It's who's third. At this point, yeah, I don't know if I even have an answer for that. Yeah, QB3 is going to be a a huge fight uh, throughout draft season. Um, And again, it's kind of like what you said about the Giants. I don't think there's a wrong answer. There's a lot of different ways to look at that. And and there's a lot of talent at quarterback in this draft. And and people will have very different takes on who QB3 is. Before we get there, I'm going to say that the Packers are the youngest team in the NFL in terms of starting roster. Like they are fielding literally the youngest team in the NFL right now. So they got a lot of young guys at a lot of spots. They are rebuilding on the fly, if you want to call it that. 
the last six games for Green Bay are deathly important. Like mm-hmm. to watch the development of all of those young players, including Love, who's played much better over the last couple of weeks. He's been a legit threat several times over the last couple of weeks, which we did not really see through the first rest of the first half of the season. So does that continue? Is that a blip? Was it just bad defenses? Was he having a good day? Whatever. Or does that growth sort of continue? And if it does continue to the end of the year, it's very tenable for Green Bay to go, nope. We're good enough. We're, we're not going to take QB3. We are going to take our top 10 pick, which is a great thing. And we're going to use it on, you know, in this case, you're probably looking at, I would say, a little bit of offensive line or someplace on the defense because some of their defensive struggles have been kind of concerning. Um, their rush defense being 23rd and points scored 22nd. Not typical Green Bay marks. Those are big drops in both categories. Now, the point scored piece is important. The rush defense, like I can live with a, you know, twenty low 20-ish rush defense. You can still win with that. But if they decide that Love makes enough progress in the next six games and continues that upward trend and they start seeing more of those flash plays more often that they believe they were going to get all year, there's enough to build on there, I think, with that young foundation and then they they're kind of in the catbird seat they're okay they're like we've got a quarterback we can live with we've got a year development on all of our young players we've seen teams do this like kansas city's defense was this not this year but last year they had all the young guys in the secondary they knew they were going to take a couple lumps still won the super bowl thanks pat but you know (laughs) like they can say hey all these young guys have progressed at key spots We're going to add a little bit of talent. We'll keep the continuity, which is super important of head coach, offensive coordinator, play caller, you know, uh, quarterback. That triumvirate stays intact. We don't have to start at zero again next year, which you do if you bring in a rookie quarterback. Uh, We're going to add some pieces to kind of press up the places that fell a little bit more than we thought. But like our core is stable. And that's been a that's been Green Bay's way now for a long time. Keep the core as stable as you can and fill in things around the edges. Now they too can take advantage of that very good wide receiver draft class if they think they want to. They have a lot of young receivers, but if not all of, if they decide not all of them are progressing or are going to hit, they can go to that pool. You know, can they grab another good tackle? I don't know that they need to, but they certainly could. And then there's you know defenders that they could take on the inside, even at value propositions in later rounds. And again, this team could be pretty good quickly if the Jordan Love experiment works out. And we're going to know that over the over the balance of this season. The tackle question is really just, uh, you know, is Bakhtiari coming back? And yeah. or, or even beyond that, can you even rely on Bakhtiari? Like, I, I feel like he's just been hurt for three, four straight years at this point. Long time. Kind of because yeah. he has, right? Yeah. And so I think, um, again, the... The question for Green Bay is, is do we believe that Jordan Love is, is better than whatever QB3 is? Again, I'm, I'm not sure that he is, but I'm not really sure about anything when it comes to the Green Bay offense right now because, as you said, they're so young. He had a couple nice throws last week where I'm like, okay, there it is, right? But it's like it's right. week 10. <laughs> We're yeah. finally getting that. It's week 10. So... I, I don't I don't know what to do about Jordan Love. Again, the EPA number really surprised me because when you watch him on film, I'm like, this is not, yeah, it's not good. And so the the debate is really like whoever QB three is versus Olu Fashanu or Joe Alt if they're even there. Um, 
And even then, the tackle question is just, what's up with Bakhtiari? So there's a lot of unanswered things with Green Bay. For me, if I was running the show, because I'm still not 100% sure what's going on with Jordan Love, I almost want to get as many bites at the apple as I possibly can. And I want to do that by looking at day two quarterback or a quarterback that if we want to get the fifth year option, you know, kind of sneak into the late 20s, low 30s. So maybe move back for a team that's trying to come up with, for, for, for say, like Malik Neighbors or, or, or Latu or whoever, you know, somebody's trying to get a premium talent. Go back to one of those teams and, you know, pick up, pick up a tackle later. You know, it could be the Oregon State kid. Because I still think mm-hmm. that Zach Tom could play left tackle. Like, I think he could. He's got a, he's at right tackle right now, but I think he could play left tackle. So you pick up the Oregon State kids so that we get better offensive line depth because Nyman's going to be a free agent anyway. Um, you know, you can you can replace Runyon if you want to on day two because Runyon's also going to be a free agent. Like, there, there's going to be some changes to the offensive line no matter what. But if you could pick, pick up extra assets and then get back up into 31 or 32 to get Jaden Daniels, right, as your... Hmm fail safe if the Jordan Love thing doesn't I don't think work he's out. He's going to be there. Yeah, I'm just going to put he my probably won't. He probably I, won't, but let's say let's say it's Bo Nix. Let's say it's Bo Nix is is let's say it's in terms of sure. order of quarterbacks, it's Caleb May and then either Jaden or JJ McCarthy and Bo Nix is is at QB5 and you're sitting there and you can go get him at 30. Like Bo Nix is very much a Matt LaFleur type of quarterback. Oh, like for sure. Accurate on the run, has mobility, Super experienced, super experienced. Like the guy's married already. Like he's, you can plug him in there right now, and he's going to be fine. So if Jordan Love doesn't progress, like you're okay with just throwing Bonix in there, right? But also getting the tackle because we don't know what's going on with Dave Bakhtiari. Like now, the more I talk about it and kind of go through it, the more I think that Green Bay's (laughs) going to trade down no matter what, just because they, yeah, they're not desperate. Like they're. They're needy, but they're not desperate. And I feel like if anybody could, you know, hang Layato Lato or over, you know, one of the teams in the twenties and be like, come get him, it's probably them. Yeah, it's possible. There's there's a lot to work with there. I think the offensive line depth is gonna loom large. I think they'll go after that. They've prioritized it, but they've also been very good at picking linemen later and developing them. One of the best teams in the league at doing that. So they very well could say, yeah, we need offensive line depth, but we're doing that in the third because we we got this guy that we're going to take and everybody's going to go, what are you doing? And two years later, he's going to be starting every single game and just fine, rock solid. So, you know, a lot of questions. Uh, It'll be fascinating. Again, these games down the stretch are going to be fantastically interesting to figure out exactly where they end up in all these metrics. Because again, this is a half season snapshot and Mm -hmm. where that development is with the, with the Jordan love situation and then how they choose to address it. Because if there is a front office that doesn't always choose to address things the way people think they should, it's green Bay. For those keeping track at home, uh, by the way, three of the teams that are ahead of them in the draft order, they play down the stretch. They play against the Giants, the Panthers, and the Bears as three mm-hmm. of their last five games. So, like you said, there is there is a lot to be determined uh, as, as we get towards the end of the season. Uh, all right, next quote-unquote bad team, Falcons. 
and I say quote unquote bad team because I know that there's a good football team in there somewhere. Like I know <laughs> that is. it exists. There is. That's the, <laughs> the thing. core is okay. Like right now, if we're looking at at draft order, you know, Atlanta is what the ninth overall pick, right? So they're only a little bit behind Green Bay. They're three picks behind Green Bay. Going into the year, you know, when we were kind of breaking down the roster and everything like that, we're like, hey, there's. There's a there's a solid football team in there. They spent a lot of money on the defense. They got weapons. We love Drake London. We love Kyle Pitts who's coming out. Bijan's Bijan. The right side of the offensive line kicks ass and takes names. And yet, and if you yet. ever need <laughs> if you ever need a poster <laughs> child for a team held back by quarterback coach combo, it's Atlanta. Like this team should not have the record they do. And if you threw if you threw Kellen Moore and Justin Herbert, like the, the in terms of offensive coordinator quarterback combo, if you took them from the Chargers and threw them in Atlanta tomorrow, they win the NFC, like or the NFC South, I should say, easily. Like easy, like not even close. They run away with that division. But because of who's throwing the ball there and who's running the operation there, they are vastly underperforming and and it's 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 also disappointing because i feel like it's it's a very it's almost out of spite you know in terms of (laughs) red zone touch allocation snap allocation the design of the like how they're even using or should i say refusing to use cal pits same for drake london it it just feels very purposeful of just like a dig at people who play fantasy football and it's like what are we trying to do here man like are we trying to are we trying to take a shot at people who are yelling at you for not for not giving their guys touches are we trying to win football games like what's what's the goal here because if the goal is to win football games you should probably give Kyle Pitts the ball more and Drake London the ball more and not have Jonu Smith out touching Bijan inside the tent like it's just it feels petulant I, I would say that's the word for it and that's why they're picking in the top 10 they shouldn't be but they are and I feel like as soon as a new coach quarterback combo is in there we're going to see what the Atlanta Falcons really are I believe that's true and I believe this team is very different than the other four that we're talking about they are not a bad roster they are not the youngest roster in football. They do not lack experience on, on either side of the ball. They have good young players, which is fine. That's what you want. But they do not have someone to trigger the offense. I do not believe that Desmond Ritter is the, the quarterback that's going to take this team to the promised land. Doesn't mean he can't play in the NFL. Doesn't mean that he's done anything in his time to show me that he is the anointed starter of the you know Atlanta Falcons moving forward. And then the coaching issue is is paramount like you got to get that settled first because if it's arthur smith running it back next year i don't have any faith in picking a quarterback and saying it's going to be better it's not we all know that rookie quarterbacks are going to struggle but if ever there was a sort of ready-made spot to drop in a rookie quarterback who is good and be coached up to be supported by a good offensive line good weapons great running game a solid defense like their defense is not you know destitute either they have a lot of playmakers on that side of the ball so this is a team that if you're looking at how did they perform this year and you're you're predicting you know breakout or turnaround candidates for next year if those two changes occur head coach 
at quarterback. They get a quarterback. Now they got to do something. Like you said, they're sitting at about ninth. It's probably not going to get them the person they want. Are they going to package picks, trade up, package players and picks, whatever it is. Like you got to get a quarterback. That is the unlock to this offense. And you got to have somebody guiding that quarterback and the coach that understands what they have because it feels like that kid that you're trying to take advantage of in like first grade when you're trading baseball cards and being like, Oh no, Ken Griffey Jr. He's not that good. <laughs> like, you know, I'll, I, you give me one of those and I'll give you like, you know, you give me two of those and I'll give you one of this random outfielder you like. Um, that's what it feels like because it's like, dude, Drake London is a baller. He is a, he is a good receiver and he is not, Anywhere in your near reach's peak. Forget Bijan. Like, well, apparently that's what Arthur Smith is trying to do. You can't forget Bijan. Like, he's <laughs> shown. Like, yeah, I already did. <laughs> yeah, I know. He's he's shown. That's the thing. Is it's like it's not he's like rotting away on the bench. Like, pretty much every time you give him the ball, he makes a highlight play, and you're like, okay, so let's just do that more, right? Nope. Pitt, same way. And and people are like, oh, Pitts versus Johnny Smith. Why can't you use both? There's some really good two tight end offense out there. We saw Buffalo running it before, you know, Dawson Knox went down. Like, there's a way to build a very explosive, really cool offense using both of those guys. Technically, they did when they had Jonu Smith throwing it and Kyle Pitts blocking for him. Don't. There you go, EJ. Don't. That's so (laughs) rude. Uh, Anyways, this is a team that's very different than the other four that we're talking about. They have a good roster. They are, you know, they are. It feels like one player away, which is a quarterback, and one coach away from saying, hey, I've got really good players at this position. I should use them in a, let's say, typical way. I feel like this team's record would almost flip. Like you said, they'd win the NFC South. I think they're definitely a threat for a wild card this year if they have a quarterback. And honestly, even if they just had, if we just switched the coach, let's say we took. Mm-hmm. Kevin O'Connell from the Vikings, and we gave him the Falcons with Ritter. Like he's got Josh Dobbs right now. You, you know, yeah. could they'd, they'd probably be a Josh lot better. They, yeah. There's another couple of wins in that roster easily right now at the midpoint of the season, which means at the end of the year, they'd be in a similar position to Minnesota, where they're going to be, you know, a wild card team in the NFC, and then see if you go on a run. But because of those two limitations, they're not there need to get those figured out if they do this could turn around really quickly atlanta fans like they do not lose hope like if they run arthur smith back you can lose a little hope but if they make a choice and make a change and they make the right calls which is always the thing with every team this team could turn around quickly i'll read off the numbers because i forgot to do that earlier rushing offense they're 23rd in epa passing offense they're also 23rd in epa rush defense they're fourth mainly because they play the run on the way to the quarterback. They are just in the backfield constantly, and they get a bunch of TFLs. Uh, Pass defense, they are 22nd. Points scored, they are 20th, and points allowed, they are 23rd. So they are below, not like basement, but below average in most things, you know, kind of middle third in most things. Um, If they end up with a top 10 pick, let's let's just go with the scenario. Arthur Smith's gone. Uh, they bring in, insert other offensive coach here, you know, yep. whether it's Ben Johnson, Kellen Moore, Dave Canales, Petzing, whoever. Waldron. Right? Does, yep. Waldron, yeah. who, who cares? Like, any of them, right? 
So they're staring down the barrel of the ninth pick with a young offensive coach. For Atlanta specifically, knowing that they already have the weapons and knowing that this is a very good run-blocking line with two good running backs already, if there is a spot for Jaden Daniels to go super early, considering the run game that they could create with him, not that he is a running quarterback, he's a quarterback that can run, but in terms of jump-starting this offense with just a tough-as-nails, super-fast mobile quarterback that can make it way harder to deal with Bijan because you also have to deal with Jaden Daniels. And, oh, by the way, he's got a wicked deep ball to throw it up to Drake London, too. If there's a spot where I think Jaden Daniels makes sense as a very high draft pick from a fit perspective... I would I would put him in Atlanta. Like there's some teams that I wouldn't just because mm-hmm. like I, I I I want him I want him to be in a structure that maximizes his skill set. There's some teams that are pretty high up in the draft order that I, I I just don't think that fits. Atlanta fits. Like, well, if they get the coach higher right. But from a talent around him perspective, Atlanta fits what he does really well, which is absolutely gash you on designed runs and just throw a beautiful gorgeous deadly deep ball down the field i would i would want him there personally yeah caveat we did not talk about this before the show and no we did not yes 100 you give me Jaden daniels going to the falcons with a new offensive coach and then insert wide receiver two because you in, in the second round because you cannot pick them all in the first round. There's no way. There's too many. Not everybody's picking wide receiver in the first round, and there are too many to be chosen. So there are going to be very quality wide receivers, and they don't even need to be wide receiver one. They could be wide receiver two or three, mm-hmm. and that's fine. But we need one more of those. We need Jaden Daniels, and we need an offensive coach, and, like, let's go. Like yeah. time to get excited, time to go to Atlanta and watch a game. Like I would be, I would be a hundred percent down for that. Last team, Arizona Cardinals, coming off a win against said Atlanta Falcons. Uh, Kyler is back, and mm-hmm. you know he's not all the way there in terms of looking like Kyler, but he looked fine. Like he looked, he looked like here's a guy who's good for not playing start. for a while. <laughs> Yeah, you know, first action, right, coming off an ACL. Like, if if that's the low point of what Kyler is this year, pretty decent chance that he's sticking around long term. Like, I don't think that they're going to be bad enough to get a top two pick at this point. They already don't have a top two pick at this point. But they're going to pick up a couple more wins with Kyler. You know, even as a two-win two team, they play hard every single week. They've been in a lot of games. Um you know, they, they showed that fight against Dallas, and that's the kind of game where Dallas normally just steamrolls people, and, and Arizona came out and punched him in the mouth. This team plays their ass off for, for Gannon. They get their quarterback back. I think they're going to win a couple games down the stretch and, and kind of remind themselves, like, hey, we can actually win here. Obviously, there's a lot of deficiencies in terms of talent across the roster, but... I wouldn't necessarily say that the that they are the most 
talent deficient roster. Like I think there is some stuff to work with there. Uh, looking at their metrics, they are 10th in terms of rushing offense in terms of EPA. We saw them fully weaponize that against Dallas. Like I said, like they can really run the ball. Passing offense, again, they just got Kyler back. Uh, I, I would say and the Clayton Toon game against Cleveland also heavily impacted that and pushed them down to 29. They were mid-20s before that. Uh, so again, they're not like the worst passing offense, and they're only going to climb from here because they actually got Kyler back. Rush defense, they're 26th. Pass defense, they're 28th. That's kind of the big issue that we'll be getting into. Uh, point score, they're 25th. Points allowed, they're 30th. Again, if we assume that they're going to have a back half of the top 10 pick because they're going to reel off a couple more wins with Kyler here, Caleb and Drake out of the conversation. Kyler's going to be the quarterback in 2024. The conversation now becomes, how do we get the pass offense to be better so that Kyler doesn't have to win a shootout every single week? Because going forward, that kind of feels like how Arizona is going to have to win is Kyler does have to to be kind of a superhero because they can't stop anybody through the air. So how do they fix this with all their extra assets that they've gotten, you know, from trading down a couple times last year, they're going to have Houston's first round pick, but how do they address as of right now with the fourth overall pick and with the 20th overall pick fixing this pass defense? Got to get a pass rusher. Probably have to do it up high. I'm with you on Kyler. I think a lot of people forgot that he is a very good quarterback. And the easiest way to do that is, again, if we could cherry pick Kyler and put him at the helm of any of these other teams that we're talking about. Giants, better. Packers, right now, better. Much better, yeah. Like, Falcons, better. Like, he on the, you know, Kyler on the Falcons would be low-key really fun. But he's going to stay... They need to fix a pass defense. They don't have. If you're looking at you know who they're run, who they're rolling out there right now in terms of their front seven, like it's not scaring anybody. And there is pass rush talent in this draft, um, both interior and exterior. But it feels like exterior is probably the move up high. You go do that, and they need some size in the receiving core. But again, this is a really deep, really varied wide receiver class. And you know, you give me Xavier Leggett at the top of the second round if he's still there. Like, Ooh. oh. Okay, like mm-hmm. you got talent. It's not that they're not talented. I really like Rondell Moore. Michael Wilson's got some size, and I like him too, but I don't think he's probably, you know, the all everything you need for size. And then, of course, they've still got Marquise Brown. You had a guy like Xavier to get to that. You got two big guys, two small guys. They're all fast. You got Kyler pulling the trigger. You got Trey McBride, who's coming on. Talk about him a little bit later on. But, like, there's enough here. You got two good tackles. We're fairly young you know one very young and and one you know not over the hill yet like there's enough to make this offense work but the pass defense if you're if you're just gonna have to boat race it every day that top pick has probably got to be you know pick whatever flavor of rush and you like for your defense you got a defensively based head coach and start building that defensive line because right now you look down at it and you're like you got a bunch of solid guys but that like that's it you got a bunch of solid guys that's it you know, if we're looking at um, their their pressure totals by player on this defense, their top pressure getter is Dennis Gardick at 25 and then Zayvon Collins at 23. And, mm-hmm. you know, the fact that Dennis Gardick is essentially your number one 
in terms of coming off the edge and his, his pass rush win rate's like 14%. Again, I think he's a fine complimentary piece. I would love him as my number three or, or maybe even a number two. But Dennis Gardick can't be your Batman. And Zayvon Collins can't be your Robin. Like, that, that's... If anything, it should be... That's that's your Robin and Alfred. Like, you need to get a Batman. And so, yep. fourth overall pick, I'm looking at Latu. Even mm-hmm. maybe move down a little bit first and then get Latu. I'm looking at... Um, have you watched Chop Robinson and Dallas Turner yet? Yep. Watched them both. Do you have an opinion in terms of where they fall for you relative to Latu and Jared Verse? Again, we get into, you know... I run this a little bit differently in terms of edge and defensive end. I, you know, I think they're all talented, but Gannon's going to look at those guys and he's going to look at who they're going to keep because again, there's going to be motion in all these rosters. Guys, contracts are going to go, you know, they're going to bring in other free agents. They might look to do, you know, they might go get a, a, they probably should go get another pass rusher and free agency and pick somebody in the draft. And again, if you're going to pick this position, whether it's rush defensive end or it's edge, you ha- you got to do it up high, like the guys that have success in the league, they all come either in the first round or literally the top like two picks of the second round. And after that, success rates fall pretty significantly. Um, you know, you do get those guys like Alex Highsmith that you know come on a little bit later and take several or years to develop. And Max Crosby, but that's rare. You know, it's super rare. If you're going to take a shot, you take it up high. You get the most athletically gifted one you can, because this is a position where traits do translate. And very few guys who are at the top of those rankings are not at the top of the physical traits list. They they do directly correlate. Um, And, you know, you probably shotgun this probably get one in free agency, you know, Probably going to have to overpay to do that. That's fine. Use a high draft pick because you need it right now. You can't be in the low 20s in pass defense. And if you have no rush or very limited rush, the things you can do defensively against the pass are pretty darn limited. Now, going to the back half of that pass defense, they could also use a corner (laughs) or two. Uh, Yeah. And that's, you know, those I think you can have a little bit or little better success, um, especially if you're just looking for somebody that does one thing. Well, hey, we need one guy that we can lean on for press. Hey, we need one guy that we can lean on for man in the slot. Like you can get those players later down, whereas you can't get a top tier rush threat later down. So in terms of priority, get a rush threat, probably double up through free agency. You're going to need a corner. Um, a little size in the receiving core would be nice. Uh, but shore up that pass defense, go with the weapons you got. You got a better quarterback already in house and signed than most of the, well, all the other teams on this particular list. You can get it turned around. We like what Petsing's done. It'll be even more fun to see what he's going to do with, with Murray in there. And because he did great with freaking Josh Dobbs in there. Like, so again, you know, probably second most hopeful team on this list. Um, if there's no coaching change in Atlanta, probably the most hopeful team on this list in terms of, yeah, they're bad right now, but that doesn't necessarily have to continue for a long time. One note for the Cardinals fans listening to this, uh, Wiggins, the Clemson corner, is somebody that, that Cardinals fans should be paying attention to because in terms of Agreed. ultra-talented outside corners – 
Like Wiggins would start in Arizona tomorrow. <laughs> if we're being yes, honest, you just plug him out of Clemson. <laughs> he'd, yeah. he'd start tomorrow. Uh, I would also say if they want to look at safety, I don't necessarily think they have to, but if they want to, uh, the God blanket on the name, the Miami kid. Have you watched him yet? Yep. Super rangy, free safety. God, he's good. I think he'd be a fun he was, little. If they want to go like a three safety look, he'd be fun. Yeah, he was on top of my off-season watch list for safeties. Like he was, I only had like three or four names on my list for safety in like, you know, June. <laughs> he, was, yeah. he was number one. So they got options. I think Arizona is is kind of, they're, they're going to be a team that I think we have a lot of fun when we do our off-season preview series because I think they have a, a bunch of, a bunch of directions they can go. We think they've hit on the coach just based on on how the team plays every week and how hard they play. We think they've hit on the coach. We think that's, Kyler's going to be around. That's the thing is like if you look at the Giants sideline under Dable and you look at the Cardinals sideline, two teams that in the standings are in very similar positions, night and day. Like it's yeah. not close. <laughs> And it's so interesting how, you know, first impressions can be, I mean, just flat out wrong. Because the first impression that, like, the Cardinals' own social media <laughs> team gave us of of Gannon with, like, the, you know, the ride the bus video. And all of us were watching uh-huh. that, like, what's what's going on here? But then, like, clearly in the room, it probably landed a lot better because all these guys look like they want to, you know, tear your face off every week. We're like, okay, it resonated. Let's go, Jonathan Gannon. Like, it almost feels at this point like that's the standard operating procedure is to set the bar as low as possible because, I mean, think about Sirianni's opening press conference, Dan Campbell's opening press conference. Like, Gannon was right in there. Like, and it just feels like, okay, we're going to lower the bar to the ground and step over it and anything they do after that it's going to be amazing it doesn't feel like a service to them but at the same time it keeps happening so it's yeah. very odd it feels like the the last time that we saw a coach that you know immediately enamored us in the first press conference and then also like was incredible on the field was mcdaniel <laughs> like every other coach where it's like if they if they don't have a good first impression in the media, I'm just automatically going to be like, they're going to work. They're good. <laughs> <laughs> That's a guy who focuses more on being a good coach than good in front of the camera. You know, like he's going to work. <laughs> yeah, That's funny, but it's also probably true at this point. So, yeah. All right. Last segment on this show, which ended up being just as long as a normal preview episode, of course. Uh, parting glass, EJ. Uh, speaking of the Cardinals, your parting glass is about the Arizona Cardinals. Indeed. Trey McBride was my tight end one the year he came out. Uh, drafted by the Cardinals, round two, pick 55 overall. Took a lot of heat for placing him over Greg Dulcich, a couple other tight ends in that draft. Arizona, especially back then, was a lousy place to land. We know that that coaching staff was one of the ones that really struggled with developing young players, putting them in positions to succeed. So enter Jonathan Gannon's staff, who we just talked about, OC Drew Petzing, who we also just talked about. They realized they might have something in McBride, which is really cool. Really cool, excuse me. Versus Baltimore two weeks ago, he broke out with 10 catches on 14 targets for 95 yards and a score on Sunday. He ripped off eight receptions in nine targets 
131 yards. That's a 16-yard per reception average, including that eye-opening laid-out deep grab down the sideline, which made all the NFL socials. And McBride didn't forget how to dominate football games. He didn't forget that he was a great two-way player with a lot of physical talent. He just got dropped into a situation where they didn't favor the tight end, didn't understand how to use him in the game plan. He also developed. He's been in the league a year and a half now. We see that jump, and you know some players don't get to make it. Looks like McBride is starting to make it, and if he continues that upward trend, that's a both a position they don't need to go get and another sort of varied weapon in the arsenal for Kyler as he comes back that can be a real building block going forward because he's showing that he had first-round talent, ended up going in second, but he can be a solid piece of this Arizona offense going forward. My parting glass uh, is for a team that if we had done this at the end of September, definitely would have made this list. But now that we're doing it in November, uh, the arrow is firmly pointing up. And that's the Denver Broncos. In particular, the Broncos defense. Uh, we were very quick to rush to judgment on Vance Joseph, and I guess giving up 70 points to the Dolphins will do that. But... You know, early on in the year, we we're like, oh, I don't know if this is going to work, man. <laughs> like, this Vance Joseph defense is just getting shelled. They are still technically the 32nd ranked team in terms of points given up per game. But that is because of the Miami game where they gave up 70. In the last three games, they've given up 16 points per game. Again, season total is 27.6 per game. Last three is 16 per game. That is the second fewest in the NFL over the last three games. If we go back to the last four games, you know, they they beat uh, the Chiefs, they beat the Bills, uh, they beat the Packers, and then they lost to the Chiefs, but they held the Chiefs under 20 points both times. You know, they held the Bills to 22. Um, you know, holding the Packers to 17 is exactly like a, rounding, a resounding achievement, but still, like, you know, th- this is a team that every single week even after getting shellacked in the first month of the season, is now holding teams to generally 20-ish points or less. And the development of this Broncos defense uh, under Vance Joseph, I think, is is one of the, the more intriguing and underrated storylines this year to go from being so historically bad to all of a sudden one of the league's best. And I want to give credit to Vance Joseph for doing that and turning it around because that's, that's a tough job to go from literally dead last to top three it's 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 hard to do yeah he's a guy that was you know on the plate for a midseason firing like there was Mm -hmm. no way for that football to continue football team to continue with the way they didn't over the first month they would have they would have lost every game it needed to turn around they have a lot of talent on that defense that we like i mean Pastor Tan still doing his thing and, you know, lots of the other younger guys coming along and making a difference. And it's been a completely different team, not only on defense, especially on defense, but not only on defense, the offense too. Russ, Russ's numbers, obviously from last year to this year, are quite different. But even again, that terrible stretch in the first month of the season to his last four games, very, very different. Like you could you know, tentatively say Russ is back. Is he a huge difference maker? No, but he's also, you know, not the reason they were losing, which for a lot of last year he was. And the combination of those things turning around in tandem has 
you know, the Broncos solidly off this list that we're talking about and certainly hopes for fans. I don't want to say soaring, but like <laughs> realistically in the middle where they don't want to go jump off a bridge. With that, uh, we are going to get out of here for the week. Uh, we hope that you guys enjoy the Chiefs and Eagles game on Monday. If you're a fan of a team that hasn't gotten talked about a whole lot this year because they're not very good, we hope this episode, uh, you know, gave, gave you something to chew on and gave you something to think about uh, as you do your mock draft simulators, as I'm sure you are right now. Uh, with that, I want to thank our uh, executive producers over in the EP tier on Patreon, Marat, Consti, Andrew, Liam, Connor, and Mike L. Couldn't do this without you guys. I also want to thank our clothing partner, Homage, which I am wearing an Homage hoodie or a, a crew neck right now. Little, it's little the Lions Lions blue. they just sent me. Yeah. Yep. I love these crews. They have one for every single team. So if you like crew necks, because it's the fall, it's crew neck season, and you want one with your NFL team on it, go to Homage. Anything you get from that link down in the description below, uh, we get a cut of, uh, as well as our own merch, which will be up on Homage uh, fairly soon. EJ, you got anything before we get out of here? No, I think that's plenty. I It does get me a little fired up for draft season, not going to lie. And, you know, it's I don't want it to be a hopeless time for really any NFL fans. And hopefully we gave you some hope. Giants fans, sorry if we couldn't push you over that bar. Uh, speaking of draft season fast approaching, uh, Shrine Bowl and Senior Bowl invites are being accepted. We are looking at booking our travel for, for Frisco. And, you know, we're looking at... Um, you know, when we can try to fit in pro days and everything. So draft season's almost here. Uh, even if you're a fan of a bad team, there's still hope. It's always 2024, EJ. Always 2024. Anyway, let's get out of here.